Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller it is episode 98, so if you head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash 098, you'll get all the show notes to today's episode where I welcome Zach Franklin, who amongst other things is a veteran Amazon seller based in Shenzhen and who's consulted to seven, eight and nine figure Amazon businesses within China. So I first met Zach in Hong Kong a few years ago when he spoke about being a one-man army, about the benefits of DIYing as much as possible instead of outsourcing everything, which was then and probably still is now accepted wisdom. And what I also admire about Zach is that he thinks deeply, dare I say philosophically, about everything we do when it comes to business. And he questions everything rather than just accepting the conventional standards and norms. Before we get on to today's episode, please join my Facebook group over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook. And don't forget that I'm also offering private coaching this year, so please head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Chris to book an hour session with me and make sure that you're heading in the right direction. All right, let's get on with today's episode with Zach Franklin. Back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast, and today I am delighted to welcome Zach Franklin from AMZ or AMZ Kung Fu. Zach, welcome to the show. I've been dying to get you on for such a long time since we first met in in Hong Kong. Uh, I think it was back in 2016, maybe 2017, somewhere around there. So yeah, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks. Good to be here. The reason that I wanted to get you on is because you have been based in China, especially in Shenzhen, for a really long time and have been rubbing shoulders with some of the biggest Amazon sellers coming out of China from Shenzhen. There are thousands of them there. I wanted to really sort of pick your brains about that, but also when I saw you speak in Hong Kong at the Global Sources Summit, you also spoke about, I think it was called the One Man Army, where you went quite contrary to outsourcing and saying that, you know, sometimes you can do a lot of things yourself. And let's touch on that today as well. But before we start on any of that stuff, can you give us a bit of your background and your journey and Amazon and how did you get to where you are now? Well, that is a long <laughs> story. Let me kind of figure this out. Um, <laughs> let me see. I'll give you a little bit of the longer version. So I was actually forced to drop out of college due to wow. some crazy, crazy stuff for about nine months. And so I had nine months where I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And I'm like, hey, I'm going to figure out money. Everyone seems to have a problem with it. I'm going to figure this out. Um, okay. so I read in one year, like 500 books on business, about two, three a day. And uh, just started to give everything a shot from like copywriting, affiliate marketing. I started going to conferences and I read Chris Green's book, Arbitrage. Um, which mm -hmm. blew, blew my mind where he used to work at Home Depot. He noticed things were on sale at Home Depot, but online they weren't. And so he would buy up a bunch of stuff and he would sell it online at the normal price. Boom, mm -hmm. make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I started to do this with, uh, with saxophones and stuff like that. I was making a good amount of money there. And mm -hmm. then uh, some of my friends from China in Ann Arbor, Michigan noticed and they're like, hey, can you sell our stuff too? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, hey, great. I have like 5,000 laptop stands in my garage. Can you like sell it and we'll split the profit? I'm like, yeah. And then I just got really into kind of the Amazon community. I helped this random guy out in a Facebook group. He happened to be the CEO of like the fifth largest Chinese Amazon company. And um, he called me at two in the morning. He said, hey, come to China tomorrow. And mm -hmm. so I did. And I walk in and there's like, you know, a thousand. Amazon sellers sitting at desks and uh, I was immediately like in the top tier senior management, even though I had technically like just graduated. <laughs> Don't tell anyone <laughs> that. Uh, like my first week I had to manage like 75 people and, you know, I had never done anything like that, but yeah. I happened to do pretty well. And my first year there I sold millions and millions and millions for these guys. Um, mm -hmm left that did consulting for a lot of the biggest biggest sellers because i came from value link so unlike any other foreigner 
in China, I come from like a trusted Chinese institution, right? If you go to China, you never yeah. see people doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because I have a very unique sort of credibility in the Chinese e-commerce uh, world. And that has allowed mm-hmm. me to go into all of the biggest Chinese companies. And I do mean basically all of them, whether it's Aki or TomTop or uh, Yoko Shu or Cohen, um, all, all of these guys I know rather well. Mm-hmm. And it's been, been absolutely a blast. I've done pretty much everything you can do with Amazon. I've sold a lot on Amazon. I've consulted for big companies. I've created Amazon software. Um, I've spoken at more than 100 plus live events. And I try mm-hmm. to do a kind of a different speech every time. I'm really impressed at your memory that you were able to remember the, the one-man army. Because um, <laughs> that, that was a fun one to do. Because every time it you do something different based on whatever the lineup is, try and do something a little bit different to what everyone's going to talk about. So if everyone's going to talk about Facebook ads, I'll talk about native ads or Google or something. If no one's talking about Facebook ads, I'll do that. You might remember mm. if you went to Global Sources, I was one of the first people to ever mention mini chat for Amazon users mm-hmm. and uh, quite a bit of stuff. So I'm always changing stuff up. Yes, you were. And the, the, the reason why your speech stuck with me was it was contrary to the common... I guess, belief at the time or the accepted way of doing things, which is to outsource everything. And and if you're going to be a one-man army to push everything out to VAs or uh, contractors or whatever. And what I loved about that speech was that you, or you'd actually worked a whole bunch of stuff out yourself and you came up with a whole bunch of really cool benefits to figuring out how to do things on your own, like how to crop an image in Photoshop or whatever it was. You know, it often ends up being a lot quicker to be able to do these things on your own rather than trying to outsource things. And uh, yeah, and that's sort of the way I operate as well. I do outsource a little bit of stuff, but they're more the repetitive kind of things that are a little bit boring. But um, I really do love to mm-hmm. roll my sleeves up and get into, you know, and learn how to do things. Uh, it certainly helps when you're running a business to know how everything kind of works as best you can. So yeah, anyway, it's just a really, it really stuck with me and I've never forgotten that speech. So Thank you. Tell me though, before you were flown out on a plane the next day from a phone call at 2am, how much experience did you have with Amazon at that point? Um, I think I maybe had like 100,000 in sales under my belt, nothing super crazy. Mm-hmm. And when was that? Um, that was like 2014 that I had started selling on Amazon, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, okay. So that kind of makes sense. So, you know, I haven't, haven't been around forever or anything like that, but I've been able to do quite a bit in the time I've been selling. Obviously, there's some big differences. Or maybe it's not obvious, but it's it seems obvious to me that there's some big differences between the Chinese and Western sellers. What are your observations there? Like, what, what do the Chinese do differently, do you think, that a Western seller might typically do? Oh, man, this is another <laughs> long one. So... <laughs> They're, they're almost different species of sellers. You know, their motivations are completely different. Their mindset is completely different. And the resources is completely mm-hmm. different. So, for example, um, average, you look at an average ad for selling on Amazon courses. And these, like, let's, let's go with like Kevin David, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. example. Um, the ads in America that are how most of us learned, oh, hey, we can actually sell on Amazon are all encouraging this kind of like work like a couple hours a day from your laptop on the beach, you know, like have this freedom mm-hmm. lifestyle and, you know, have VAs doing everything for you and you just kind of like sit my ties <laughs> and it could not be more of the opposite in China where they say, I'm going to work every second from when I wake up to when I fall asleep until I die in a Lamborghini. (laughs) Um, So the mindset is just completely different where Chinese are going into this thinking, I'm going to work every moment. I'm going to build something very, very, very big. And I'm going to um, do whatever it takes. Do whatever Mm. it takes. And this is a completely, really different mindset than most of the kind of Western sellers. I mean, granted, I don't actually talk with too many Western um, sellers mm. on a day-to-day kind of basis. Um, what's also really different is the community. So 
if you are a seller, assuming you're not in New York and maybe not in LA, um, you're probably not surrounded by a lot of sellers that you know. Um, I mean, obviously there are a couple pockets here and there, mm-hmm. but for the most part, if you count how many Amazon sellers you see and talk to on a daily basis, it's probably zero. That's um, true. At least like in person, mm-hmm. unless it's online. Mm-hmm. In China, I like everyone sells on Amazon and Shenzhen. So like I go to a Starbucks and I spy on other people's laptops, right? Mm-hmm. And I see like 10 people on their Amazon accounts, which is Nuts. crazy, yeah. right? Like I see Kelly Central, I've been able to listen in Chinese and hear they're like, you know, my ACOS is too high. And I'm like, <laughs> well, at least they have the same frustrations everyone else does. Um, but they're also in it with uh, just very different um, strategies and different resources. So for example, like Chris, if you want to um, open a Payoneer account mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that, um, you have to you know get them on the phone or you're used to doing stuff on a more like fill out their form and, and do stuff automatically through things like mm-hmm. this. In China, like let's say I'm picking a CRM or I'm picking an Amazon tool, mm-hmm. I call them up and they come visit the office in about 30 minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, so I have like one day where I was picking like um, different Amazon email tools or something. They were all right there in the office and I would talk to each of them for 30 minutes and then make my decision. So it's very much like a person to person business. You always have meetups, although I'm not quite sure with, uh, with coronavirus mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, thousands of, of Amazon sellers, um, and this is something that happens like pretty much every week. Mm. So anyone that's in the Amazon business is going to know a lot of sellers and they're going to work with a lot of sellers. The average size of these businesses, you know, they're treated much more like a real corporate business. There might be, you know, a thousand employees or 600 employees and they're all specialized into what they do. There is like an accounting department, an HR department, an IT department, like mm. a uh, you know, a procurement, uh, supplier, logistics department, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's very corporate mm-hmm. versus, you know, once again, the Western, hey, Westerner, hey, I'm going to hang out on the beach. So it's treated like a real business and this is why they can get real results. Yeah, they scale to an extraordinary size. And I think a lot of us in Western countries tend to be quite siloed and we do, it's either a husband and wife team, maybe a partnership at best or just a solopreneur with that sort of lifestyle business in mind where really the goal is just to quit our job and be able to support ourselves and potentially our family, just, you know, working Mm -hmm. as little as possible. (laughs) Whereas in China, it seems like, yeah, I love that. They'll just work until they're dead in a Lamborghini. The other thing I was going to ask, though, that was just around what are the Chinese sourcing like? What it sounds like these big, bigger size companies must have like a product research division, I guess, and they're and they're sourcing products. What what are they selling at the moment, or where are they skating to? Yeah, so they they can do things in a really simple way because they have a lot more money mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. So when it comes to sourcing, you know, for example, I think about ValueLink, how they were pretty much doing it would be they would pretty much open up the top 100 for each category and say, fuck it, that looks good. And then they would just source like anything that looked like it would be like a top 100 seller. And then they would put a lot of resources behind mm. it and it would work out. They weren't trying to do a lot of this niche mm. keyword research and stuff like that because for them, they don't want to have a product that like, you know, Greg Mercer might have said back in the day, like a 10 by 10, mm. like, something that sells 10 units a day, makes you $10 profit. Those types of products might be interesting to very small sellers, mm-hmm. but to bigger sellers, they want things that can sell, you know, a couple hundred, a couple thousand a day and make more profit. Mm-hmm. And so um, in general, they aren't so concerned with very small type of products. They want to get things that either capture very big trends mm-hmm. or have been absolutely... Um, proven to sell and they know that they can kind of compete their way to the top. So how do they compete then? Like what is their strategy for sourcing, launching, you know, keyword research and, yeah, and ranking? There's a lot of really, how do they do it? There's a lot of really interesting um, ways. So I'll go back to, for example, ValueLink, mm-hmm. the company I was working at. 
So they made a strategic acquisition of AMZ Tracker um, in around 2015, I think. Yes. And one of the core reasons why they, they did that was because they had AMZ Review Trader at the time, which was like a big um, club for reviews, but they had basically like 300,000 people that were used to buying products on that platform. Mm. Um, and it would increase the, the rank. And the, so that became Vipon um, because Jerry is very crazy about naming stuff. He just buys the domains first, like, oh, hey, there are four letters or five letters. Um, make it into mm-hmm. something. And so Vipon was one of them. But basically, ValueLink then has this network of 300,000 people that like to buy stuff on discount. And then um, I help them install like super URLs for all their own products. Mm-hmm. So then they would just get hundreds uh, or thousands of purchases per, per day because they also didn't just have Amazon as their distribution. They had their own distribution with 300,000 monthly active shoppers. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a really key thing. If you can build your own sort of distribution, that is not just Amazon or another site that kind of feeds in to Amazon. Um, one thing I like to do when I have a new product, I like to actually use snag shout. I know you probably even have any thought about snag shout no. in a while. No. Um, Tell me about that. You know, they kind of like fell off the map. But one thing they're really good at is um, they let you sell stuff at, you know, not just a 90% or 100%. You could sell it at break-even cost. Mm-hmm. And so that, I just put like um, products up there, try and sell like 5 to 10 per day with like a, a keyword ranking URL and just at the break-even cost. So I'm just boosting my my sales velocity. Okay. So you want to kind of use some of the, I call it like the slow burn strategy for that one. You want to use additional distribution in addition to Amazon, but everyone in China is also going to know people that can post on slick deals. Um, they do have a lot of people, bigger and bigger email lists. And they're not super bad at marketing anymore. You know, I remember, you know, 2015, 2016, everyone was like, ha, the Chinese will never beat Western sellers because we're marketing masters. That's right. And you know what? You look in Facebook groups and you look at what a lot of these smaller Western brands are doing and they're not marketing masters because to be honest, money solves a lot of marketing problems. Mm. That's right. You know, if you don't need to hit a target CPA, if you can say, hey, we just need sales and we'll make the money later. Yeah. Um, that gives you a certain amount of freedom. Or, you know, being close to China allows you to do certain things with your packaging. Um, for example, we were selling supplements. Every other supplement manufactures their packaging in the U.S., mm-hmm. And so they all have the same boring white bottles, the same sticker, and they don't do anything different with that. Mm-hmm. We did crazy stuff with our uh, our brand. You can look it up if you want. Natrogix, mm-hmm. N-A-T-R-O-G-I-X. Um, look up what we're doing with our packaging. It was really, really cutting edge for the time. And it's something you won't find on any other supplement. And we were able to make that level of packaging for the same cost as what people were getting their boring white bottles. We were able to do some really unique stuff and that increased our CTR and helped us become one of the top 10 supplement brands on Amazon for a while. That's so cool. Chinese sellers, though, they've had to cope with tariffs last year and still well, continuing. We've all had to cope with tariffs. <laughs> what we all do. And then there was a pandemic in China, and obviously now the pandemic has clearly spread to Western countries. What they got double slammed mm. on um, on COVID because um, while everyone else was just selling selling like normal, doing their normal stuff, Chinese were just leaving for Chinese New Year. And so I don't know, also if you you know this, but Chinese don't really have any system in place to work remotely. Mm. Uh, like they never do it. It's very much a your butt is in the seat from nine to nine kind mm. of thing. So everyone was at home and then no one could get back to the office because all the transportation shut down. Everyone was stuck with their family mm. and basically all of the, the major cities were shut down. So no one could actually get to the office. So the only people that were working for almost a month and a half 
were just some of the customer support guys that had um, like some of the logins and stuff at home. Right. No one else, none of the key decision makers in the companies or anyone like that had access <laughs> to their Amazon accounts. Um, so that was absolute chaos. Yeah. It's amazing. People didn't have, you know, their suppliers were also not at work for an extended amount of time. But for some sellers and also some Western sellers, it really worked out. People that had a ton of inventory, like just super overstock, had a chance to really clear things mm. out and get to a much more healthy level of liquid assets by, you know, going through and selling a lot of this inventory that was mm. stuck, especially with the sales volumes people have been seeing on Amazon. Mm. Mm. Uh, so if you had overordered, you were doing very good. If you were doing much more of a just-in-time kind of inventory situation, um, it was quite difficult for most sellers. It was very challenging for a lot of sellers with the just-in-time, and that's something that's been pushed really hard for decades now, I guess, since Toyota and you know some of the other bigger companies really pioneered the whole just-in-time inventory. And you know the industry, particularly the e-commerce industry with storage fees and Amazon fees and everything else is really been mm -hmm. geared towards that. I mean, even Amazon rewards just-in-time inventory placement or you know, inventory delivery to their warehouse and not to keep too much on hand. They punish you if you <laughs> if you overstock. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see exactly. whether Amazon actually um, rewards. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it turns around and starts rewarding people for leaving inventory in their warehouses a bit longer in case um, another wave or something yeah. else happens. We'll see. Let's uh, let's just quickly talk about Bangkok. You were living in Shenzhen. You got out of Shenzhen though, and you went straight to Bangkok when this really hit. I remember listening to a episode on seller sessions with you. It was a short one with Danny mm -hmm. McMillan, and you basically saw the writing on the wall and got the hell out of there pretty quickly. Uh, I think it was back in March, Feb or March. I can't remember. Maybe even January. No, January. it was January. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're and you know I heard rumors starting from probably the second week of january like mysterious illness out in wuhan mm -hmm. stuff like that by about the third week right before chinese new year i walked outside and i started seeing everyone in masks um, my girlfriend was up with her family in nanjing for new year's and it looked like she was not going to be able to come back for a while and then there was even talk in hong kong about maybe shutting the border with china wow. and i do not want to be in a situation where i'm, I'm stuck um, because in China, you know, nothing is really built for foreigners. Nothing is really built in English. Um, if I have to be stuck with all kinds of weird security requirements and stuff like that, I'd like to be able to speak English mm -hmm. and get through it. Um, and so I basically looked at flights. Chinese New Year, so flights are like four or five X more than normal. Mm -hmm. But I found like a flight to Phuket for 150 bucks and said, you know what, I'm going today. And uh, flew out to Phuket, had a nice couple weeks on the beach. And everything that I predicted kind of happened, you know, they did shut the border with Hong Kong. Everyone was kind of stuck in their apartment complexes. Um, things became very, very complicated in China for anyone that was still um, in, in, the, in there. country. But now China is fairly back to normal. People don't even need to wear masks in a lot of places. There are meetings and conferences that are happening now in China. Um, because they acted incredibly quickly. And I think that, you know, the West was very focused on, did China cover this up? And it's like, the second they said anything about it, they were taking absolutely massive action. Mm. You know, even just like a month ago, when a couple of cases were reported again in Wuhan, mm -hmm. they tested the entire population of Wuhan, more than 11 million people in 10 days. Yeah, that's insane absolutely insane you know i would see uh videos of like trucks going down the street blasting like sanitization like mist mm. everywhere and it was just absolutely um astounding to watch the government take such quick and rapid action mm. i've never seen the u.s do that yeah look certainly uh western countries have been a lot more dare i say blase but anyway um Let's not get into the politics of the COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer not to stray into that territory. Anyway, but um, at the top of the show as well, you mentioned that in 2016 or 2017 when I saw you speak, you did another speech about ManyChat and chatbots for Amazon sellers. 
more recently, you've really been pushing Google Shopping ads. Really love to, uh, yeah, why don't we talk about that? Because that's quite contrary to where everybody else is sort of focused right now too. So tell us about Google Shopping ads and how they can help an Amazon seller. Yeah, so when I think about what kind of advertising platforms and Amazon sellers should use, um, I think a lot about what do they already know. And for most Amazon sellers, they're really good at pay-per-click, um, or at least they, they should be, right? And so when you're looking for a first traffic platform to use outside of Amazon, you should be looking, what's the closest thing to what you already know? Mm-hmm. Um, so on Amazon, people have really high purchase intent. Mm-hmm. But on Facebook, you're kind of like just throwing products in their face and hoping that they are interested. You know, they're looking up, you know, news about COVID or political news or trying to talk with their friends. And you're like, hey, buy my shit, buy my shit, buy my shit. And they're like, who the fuck are you? I don't want to, I don't want um, And so you, you need to have a really interesting creative. You really need to master a lot of different things. And Google or Facebook, is so heavy on the machine learning that there can be a lot of different variants in why your ad works or doesn't work. Mm. The same um, ad can work, you know, to a hundred different results on a hundred different ad accounts. Mm. Or even if you run the same campaign 40 times, you're going to get 40 different results. Mm. And so this is not a situation that's good for kind of a a beginner advertiser. Mm. You know, Facebook has become much more complicated over the years. And I think that now it's a little bit too complicated as a starting beginner platform Mm. for um, most sellers. Because let's say people are trying to target me. They might be trying to target me to buy real estate or, you know, go with some kind of course or something Mm -hmm. like that. And these are very high margin products. But you might be trying to sell something to me that's like a $5 profit item on Amazon. You don't have the margin to compete with some of these other people trying to advertise to the same person. Mm. With Google Ads, you're mostly competing against people selling a very similar product to you. And so and that allows you to make better bid decisions. Mm. You know, you're not going to be going crazy. That's right. So Google mm. Ads is higher intent, it's closer to what you already know. The traffic is there. Mm. And for Google Shopping, it is incredibly similar to Amazon PPC. Like, I can't say this enough. I mean, obviously, it's that next level of complexity, but it's, you know, enough that most sellers can get started with with Google Shopping and see some success. You know, I've sold more than $5,000 of stuff today on Google Shopping. (laughs) Fantastic. yeah, yeah, it's just and now also they're sending more free traffic. They're really trying to push Google Shopping. Google Shopping is now available in multiple different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think like twenty or thirty different countries now, including most of the ones that Amazon mm-hmm. is in. And it's not difficult if you have your own website. You kind of have stuff integrated with Amazon. Um, also, I've been paying a lot cheaper for a lot, uh, like. I've been able to pay five cents a click and sell like a $700 kegerator um, all day. Okay. Five cents a click. Um, and on Amazon, I know that same click is about $10. Yeah. So um, I was able to take a couple brands up to about 500K a year with Google Shopping mm-hmm. um, off of Amazon. I mean, there were big brands on Amazon, so that definitely helped. But on Google Shopping, they were able to you know, have a nice additional stream of revenue where they were also collecting customer information and being able to add upsells and stuff like that. So tell me though, um, this must be using Google shopping ads for an e-commerce website. Is that right? Like through Shopify or are you sending directly to product listing pages on Amazon? You cannot send it directly to Amazon Mm -hmm. because you need to control the checkout process, put some code on your website. Like if you were Jeff Bezos, you could do it. You could verify you own Amazon.com or something. Mm-hmm. But if you don't own Amazon.com, and I'm guessing that's all of mm-hmm. us, um, you're going to need to find something else. You can do some kind of tricky stuff with Google search ads, but I do recommend always having a squeeze page first 
you're kind of collecting more information or you're at least pre-selling the products. Mm. Um, there are a lot of really good tools out there to build landing pages. There are also a lot of really ugly ones. Um, most of the ones for Amazon are absolutely terrible. Um, for me, I always look at this and my test is would Gucci use something like this? And if Gucci wouldn't use this, <laughs> I wouldn't. Oh, Italian. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, if it looks terrible, your customers are not going to trust mm. you. So what you can do, you can find landing page templates on Theme Forest, mm. also known as Envato, and just fix them up. Um, I'm building a new tool for this, um, and it's basically done already. I need to do a couple tweaks. Um, development has been pretty slow since some of my developers actually ended up in like quarantine without their laptops. Oh, my God. Um, so that was a fun situation, mm. but that one should be coming out pretty soon. It's just a simple one. Basically I'm taking, um, different things. I see eight figure sellers doing rebuilding them and making them available for the public, um, and kind of a streamlined form. So that's a project. It's kind of been in the works for a little bit and, uh, yeah, watch for that. That sounds really exciting. It's funny that, uh, cause Helium 10 have also sort of moved towards that landing page um, model as well. It was well, certainly a new feature within their platform. I've actually seriously just forgotten what it's called. I looked at it a couple of weeks ago and it slipped my mind. Yeah, I saw, I saw them doing that. Mm. I'm like, all right, cool. It's validated. Helium 10 thinks this yep. is the thing to go into. I guess they made a good call. Well, Helium 10 has been integrating all sorts of you know wonderful tools and things like that into their suite. So yeah, they've got landing pages and you know now they've got sort of profits and email follow-ups and all sorts of other little add-ons. And I'm sure they've got a bunch more other things in the pipe too. How, just quickly though, how did you manage to get like five cent clicks on your Google shopping ads for a $700 product? It's extraordinary. So remember on any of these PPC platforms, you are the boss, mm -hmm. right? These platforms want to spend your money, but if you tell them, my max bid is five cents. They're going to try and see what they can do to get you these five cent mm -hmm. clicks. Um, I mean, you need to be a little bit more creative with your keywords. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just do it maybe for the main the main thing. Mm -hmm. But if you can target, you know, a couple thousand long tail keywords, you might be able to do it. Another thing is Google doesn't really, um, Google shopping, you're not really picking your keywords. You're more telling Google what keywords you don't want. Mm -hmm. All right, so that can be a really different sort of situation. Um, it's closer to like an automatic campaign on Amazon. That's right. But one thing that I like to do is it's called kind of an inverted funnel. Okay. So there are two features you really need to know on Google Shopping. And one is shared budgets, mm -hmm. which kind of tie campaigns together. And then the other is um, priority levels, mm -hmm. right? So for example, let's say I do a, what most people call a short stack, right? right? So you would have one that's a more generic campaign where you bid very, very low. Mm -hmm. And this will catch a lot of low quality um, terms so that you're not bidding very high on mm -hmm. them. And then you have a branded campaign, right? So you would do negative keywords on the generic, the high priority campaign mm -hmm. and if you do negative keywords on that, then the, when someone searches that, it will flow down to your medium. Got it. Yeah, smart. So like an example like this would be a brand mm. name. Like I'll go with uh, EdStar, mm -hmm. right? So if I do EdStar on my branded campaign, I can um, bid a different level on that than if someone is just searching like Kegerator, mm -hmm. um, which would show the ad on the generic campaign. Mm. So you would need to use priority levels so that you can bid different amounts for different product features or different keywords um, instead of just bidding like a flat rate on everything. So that allows you to have control over the bids on the keywords, um, which is something that if you just set up a campaign, you don't really have that normally. I understand. For those of, particularly for those of us that live in Australia, what is a kegerator? So um, we all know Americans love beer. Mm -hmm. And kegerators are a special fridge just for just for kegs of beer. <laughs> so they have a, basically like a draft tower on top. You can, um, and it's basically like you were having the bar experience at home, or if you're at a bar, that's what's used to serve you your draft beer so that it 
it tastes really cool. good instead of just getting it from the bottle or something like that. Cool. I want one. Only 700 bucks. Google Shopping. Um, let's talk Amazon reviews just for a second because that's something you're quite passionate about. What's what's working right now in terms of obtaining more Google uh, Google reviews, Amazon reviews for your products? Great. Um, obviously, I'm a little biased, mm-hmm. but um, if you go to pandaleap.com, panda-leap.com, um, you have a very easy way to just order reviews for US, for Europe. Um, Europe is working a little better right now because in Europe, Pandaleap has 70,000 plus reviewers. In the US, it's about like 10,000. And Amazon goes a little bit crazier about reviews in the US, but in Europe, they don't really seem to care too much. Um, they tried suing a couple German companies in Germany throughout the lawsuits. They're like, no, <laughs> we don't like you, Amazon. And so these companies are a little bit safer in Europe than they are in the US. Okay. So um, frankly, they're a pretty safe kind of service. I know that like the difference between a lot of Western sellers and Chinese sellers is where they imagine the TOS line to be. So um, there's a difference between breaking the Amazon TOS, breaking the law, and basically harming other people, right? So basically what's against Amazon TOS in a lot of cases is actually providing a really great customer experience. Mm-hmm. The only reason it's bad to leave uh, Amazon reviews from some of these third-party services is that they can't actually leave the disclaimer saying this product was purchased um, as, as incentive, mm-hmm. you know, that like they, they had some kind of relationship. So Amazon blocked people from saying that. And so that made some of these reviews like, you know, kind of questionable. Mm-hmm. But providing um, customers with the product so that they can try it out is not, you know, really a bad thing. So you can do that. Okay. Um, use some of these platforms. Okay. Panda Leap is one. Rank Bell is another. Mm-hmm. You can obviously do more stuff on, on the front end. One thing I like to do um, for maybe the first couple shipments of the item, you know, have an insert um, that will then give them, if it's a consumable product, the next, uh, next one free. Or you can have a digital upsell that would then be free if they leave a review. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a physical upsell. You know, for some of the ones that were like $300 headphones, we sent them like a pair of earbuds Mm -hmm. and those cost us about $2. And we were getting reviews for $2 all day long. Um, We were able to get like 100, 200, 300 reviews a day. Mm -hmm. Now that product has more than 20,000 reviews on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely a monster. And that company does more than $150 million a year. Okay. Um, because of how they manage reviews. Um, one quick tip, just because I've been talking with a lot of people about their PPC recently on Amazon, and uh, they're like, my conversion rate sucks. And I go there listing, and then I just see like a ton of like one-star reviews at the top or like when you first are looking yeah. at it. Um, your reviews have a massive effect on your PPC. If your PPC is not profitable, you should really look at um, you know, what reviews does, does someone see when they first go to your listing, both on mobile and on desktop mm-hmm. and try and make sure that everything when they first see it is good, you know, upvote the reviews. It doesn't matter if it's like your friends, family, random people, have them upvote your five-star reviews so that when people go to your product, they're actively looking for reasons not to buy it. You want to make sure that they see no reasons that they shouldn't buy your product. That's right. Yeah. And getting, because that, that's been a big black hat thing for many years is to upvote the one-star reviews against competitors or, 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 or buy a service, get someone else to do it on your behalf. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've been hit with that. So yeah, it's a, it is a good idea. Just be a bit careful. Not, I think it, it, it's against terms of service to be upvoting and downvote. Well, you can't downvote anymore. You used to be able to, but um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, you're right. And if you can get someone to help you with that, then absolutely. It's important to yeah. do. Might be kind of black hat, but it is going to make a massive difference. It's a little gray. Let's put it that way. Um, with the Panda Leap thing, though, is that is there is there anything in there that's sort of against TOS at all, or is it all about board? Um, yeah, it is against TOS, mm. but Panda Leap is still very safe to use. Okay. 
I touched on do it yourself or outsource. Uh, what's your sort of mm-hmm. position on that now after a few years since you spoke about it? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I do outsource some stuff and I do a lot of it myself as mm-hmm. well. But the main points, I think, because I was talking to mostly more beginner in, intermediate sellers, where I think um, the mindset for a lot of people is to outsource before they understand what's involved mm-hmm. with the task, before they understand how to effectively manage people. And there have been a lot of cases where if I didn't try something out, I would have been taken for just thousands and thousands of dollars, right? I remember one of my first major development projects um, for a company. I was managing this dev team that they had already picked. And um, these guys were super scammy out of Vietnam. And basically, um, we were the, the crux of the application was sending an API um, response to another company who would then do most of the actual work. Um, so we were sending leads over to them. Mm-hmm. And so this company basically said, oh, well, we can't actually show you any of the data of what's going on the API unless you want us to build this admin panel that's going to take an extra two weeks and cost like $6,000. And while I was on the phone with them, I looked up a way to do it myself. And I'm like, oh, never mind. I just did it. And it cost me $0 and it took me three seconds. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are fired. Yeah, you guys are fired Mm. and we did fire them. But um, if you try to do some things yourself, you will learn this stuff and you will be much better at managing anyone you eventually outsource it Mm. to. Okay. So things like setting up your own website, setting up, um, I mean, graphic design, that might take a while to learn, but you want to learn some of the basics so you have a shared language and terminology with the people you are outsourcing Mm. to you know it might take you four or five hours of trying to learn something but then you'll know more so much more about it than you ever would before and you'll be able to effectively talk with people you'll be able to hire people that know what they're talking about Mm. okay it will make you so basically better decisions when you hire you won't get ripped off um, a better result because you can clearly explain what you mm. want. And there's all these little small jobs in e-commerce that if you learn how to do them, um, you will save a lot of time on the communication. So let's say, um, like you were saying uh, before, one of the examples was like removing a background on an mm. image, right? This is something, so let's say you had an image you would need to, one, maybe find a freelancer, maybe you already have one, send them the image, give them instructions, wait for them to read it, wait for them to do the job, wait for them to send it back and hope it's done in the correct format and stuff. Mm. That might be like an extra day or two of waiting. But if you do it yourself, it's two minutes. So obviously you don't want to do everything yourself all the time. But... At the beginning, before you really, you know, understand everything, you want to give it a shot. Yeah, I agree. So that you understand a lot of what it takes, because a lot of these things are actually a lot easier than they seem. Mm. Um, setting up your own website, you know, might take you an afternoon, but it might save you five thousand dollars. It does. You know, and that's it. it help, I think it helps you like negotiate as well on pricing, and it just. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just so many um, benefits to doing it. I think my big project this year is probably going to learn a little bit about CAD because I'm looking to design mm-hmm. a few new products. And um, <laughs> there's some mutual friends of ours like uh, Chris Davey, for example, who is a bit of a CAD expert now. And so he does a lot of his own CAD design. And yeah, I, I feel quite jealous that I haven't actually ever got around to learning how to do that. So, But uh, yeah, it's a really important skill. It's also just really fun yeah. because you carry these skills with mm. you, right? Mm. So let's say, you know, a year from now, maybe you decide not to do Amazon, but you want to do something else. The skills that you learn from actually doing things comes with you to whatever your next project is. Instead of just having to always find someone to help you out, um, you'll be able to start you know, not from scratch, but from a position like an advantageous position, because you are building yourself up, you are investing in your in yourself. Mm. 
And it's one, you know, if your options are, you know, watch YouTube or watch Netflix or learn a new skill for your business, um, the more time you learn, learn stuff, the better you're going to be in a couple of years. Right. This stuff takes time. Mm. But um, based on like, for example, the learning curve, you actually go from like zero to like 80% of the skill really quick. It's only when you're really going for mastery that it takes so much longer. Mm. And so you don't need to master most things. You need to be like, okay at them or good at them. So you never need to say like, I need to learn, become like a Photoshop expert um, to the level that I can be like a graphic designer and all this mm. stuff. You say, Hey, I need to make some images sometime. I'm going to learn how to make exactly the right thing I want to do. And also when you are looking at doing it yourself, you need to really become specific, right? So you need to learn this stuff with a goal. Yes. So you don't say, I'm going to learn how to develop all kinds of websites and learn a million programming languages. You say, I want to learn how to make a basic landing page for my product and I want to do it within two days, right? You're very specific about what you mm. want. With a time deadline as well. And there's not much that you can't do without a YouTube video and a keyboard, frankly. You can learn pretty much anything that you need to learn just by you know getting tutored by other people who are, who are experts and they can show you how to do the basics as well as the uh, as well as you know the, some of the more complex and intricate things that sometimes you might need to get done and I mean I uh, just finished publishing a book for my mum and I learned InDesign so and it took me probably a day I suppose just to learn how to use InDesign it's totally off topic from Amazon by the way but um, you know a day to learn how to yeah. how to learn a book yeah, I can, I can awesome. publish a book, not a problem. Yeah, just give me give me a manuscript and I'll I'll lay it out for you. So, right, and that took you one day, and now you know this for a long time. I mean, you might need to relearn right. it if you don't do it again for five mm -hmm. years, but the relearning it is going to be easier. You can like I forget half the stuff I know on a usual basis. Yeah. You know, I've forgotten more about selling on Amazon than most people ever learn. <laughs> um, yeah, but. You know, if I sit down and I give it like an hour or two, I'll be like, oh, yeah, now I remember exactly this, this, this. That's this. right. And, you know, we're always, we're kind of headed into new territory in general. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, even, you would have a career, you would know some stuff, you wouldn't learn too much new stuff. And that's it. Mm. Now we need to constantly learn different stuff, uh, relearn it, use it in different contexts. And learning new things will continually give you the confidence that you can continue to do this. That's right. And you can also switch gears. You can change careers. You can change your business. Uh, you can do pretty much anything in the digital world with that sort of attitude. It surprises me as well. Like, so how many questions that you get? <laughs> I get these from students and I love my students and my coaching students and but also in like the Facebook groups and stuff like that where people just sort of go oh what about this and how do I do this and it's like google it <laughs> it's really easy or <laughs> YouTube it that's pretty much how I would figure out the answer to what you've just asked me so get on with it and learn learn yourself and be proactive in the in yep. your learning I teach my employees that all the mm. time and I remember I used to actually work in like a kitchen in a Japanese restaurant mm -hmm. in college mm -hmm. And my first day on the job, you know, I get there, I don't know where any of the ingredients are. I don't know where like anything is or how to do anything. I'm like a little baby in the kitchen. And uh, my like shift, shift manager, Ronnie, he was like this like six foot three, like greaser looking guy with tattoos down both sleeves. He's just like, Zach, the name of the game is figure it out. Yep. <laughs> like he was just sick of, of my questions. And after that, you know, yeah, I was a little bit slower. I had to like figure out, hey, where's like the tapioca flour? Where's like whatever? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I did it. You know, I survived. I'm not like dying. Exactly. I was able to figure it yeah. out. And I think that's an important skill. It's a great skill. It's a really important one. And, and too many people just keep asking other people for really simple, what seems to me to be quite simple help. And you know, look, no offense, but. The Facebook yeah. groups are driving me crazy i like unfollowed every facebook group because the questions the level of questions is just terrible the amount of people that are not using google is disgusting mm. so if you are one of those facebook group posters that is saying like the basic basic stuff learn how to use google mm. please yep stop wringing your hands and get on with it anyway um 
We better wrap up here. We've been going for ages, but it's been fascinating. Zach, thank you so much for joining me on the show for a good sort of, what, 45, 50 minutes. Um, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, there are a lot of ways. Um, so number one, just the ground rules of communication. Mm-hmm. If you reach out to me, you cannot just say like, hi, or hi, I saw you do something. Um, please give me like a brief introduction about like who you are and your business and like what you're looking for. And that way I can actually like respond, respond to you in a way that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. You can send me a message there. You can email me. Um, you could use Zach at amz30.com. Um, so also i got really bored in quarantine and I started to write just tons and tons of stuff for Amazon. Um, I'm, this is kind of like a hobby project, so don't, don't, you know, judge me too harshly, <laughs> but amz 30com um, I'm giving out 30, um, Amazon specific and marketing specific tips. Um, so basically it sends them out automatically like to a mm-hmm. week. Um, the website's kind of wonky because I built it on a new, very new platform. It's called Ghost. Okay. And I built it because I wanted to play around with that. But there's some really, really good knowledge and it's free and it's amz30.com, the easiest to remember domain name on the internet. <laughs> and Do you know, I, I signed it. up for it today. I actually subscribed today and I got your first email as well, your first autoresponder email. Uh, give me some background about you Great. and all that fun stuff. And then, yeah, the, and what I'm in for for the next 30 days. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, playing around with it. And it's been fun to kind of set some new stuff up. I'm also thinking of doing a YouTube channel just because everyone I know seems to be starting yeah. one with, you know, like quarantine. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it could be fun, but I might also, um, I'm not a person that does a lot of like uh, consistency. That's why I like sat down and wrote the whole 30 email and 30 blog posts at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm good at like the massive effort, but I'm not good at consistency. So I don't know if I'll do like the uh, YouTube channel, but if I do, uh, just feel free to look up Zach Franklin. I also have some speeches from like affiliate worlds um, and stuff like that that are all really high quality. And I think uh, most Amazon sellers would get a lot out of I it. I bet we will. And I know we will. So thank you again for joining me on the show today. Um, super grateful. And I hope our paths cross again super soon. And hope that the COVID, uh, sorry, I've got a cat here that's decided to jump up right in the middle of my sign off. <laughs> thank you, cat. I'll probably chop this bit out of the show. Um, But I do want to say a big thanks, man, for coming on the show. Yeah, it's been really fun. Anytime. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening. 